It's Monday, July the 3rd, and we have Bobby Kruger of Brambley Park, the Cardinal, Alchemy, and TBD-named Meadery in Costa Rica. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hey, Richmond, get ready. Duke's Mayo is cranking up the heat with Hot Tomato Summer. July 24th through the 30th, savor summery mayo and tomato dishes from your go-to Richmond eateries. Visit HotTomatoSummer.com for your local participating hotspots. Welcome to Eat of Virginia, your number one podcast source for food news and interviews with the people who make Virginia restaurants great. Follow us on social media at Eat of Virginia and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. My name is Scott Wise and I'm joined as always by my friend, my friend Roby Martin. Roby, we have another multi-hyphenate guest, someone that owns many places and does many things. So many things. I'm actually really excited to have Bobby Kruger on. He um, really was my first, like, I mean, I'd have a classic cocktail or a martini, whatever, but he really was like the first one that was making his own, like all his own tinctures and bitters and everything to go in his cocktail. So I'm super stoked that he graced us with his presence to talk about how he got there. And I loved his talk about all the places that he owns now um, or that he got off the ground, the Hoff and Brambley Park, as you mentioned in the intro. But I also particularly loved his first food job in the area, which was the Applebee's down in Chester. And he gave us a little insight behind uh, what makes the Applebee's in Chester just so darn special. Let's go straight to the park. Talk to Bobby Kruger. Let's see. Let's start this, Scott, because... And I am... Ow! Sorry, I just got busy. <laughs> One of my guests just took a jump on my toe. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Nice. He, lo- he really likes... I don't understand him. He really likes pla- the classic Birkenstocks, oh. and he just wants to eat, like, chew on them. Anyway, sorry. That was so unprofessional. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like this to- is in the podcast, right? I mean, I am recording. <laughs> if so. you'd like to meet uh, meet him, he's right here. What's his name? Hey, buddy. Well, this this guy is Osborne because he's a crazy train. Oh, nice. But Ryan calls him Herpy. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need that story. <laughs> oh, oh goodness! Um, there's several of them in this room. All right, Scott. I think I've known this podcast guest for 11, 12, maybe 13 years. That's pretty impressive. He, yeah. He was the first mixologist, we'll call him that, um, that was doing anything at all, like notable with drinks in town. Actually, I've, I've known him for longer than that, I bet. Um, and I wrote about him for like one of my first articles on drinks. Like, I don't even know where the article is now. Style has removed some there. But yeah, like where was, where were you? Bobby Kruger is with us today. Um, and where were you? Where did you start? Juleps. Juleps downtown. And Juleps was... Uh... Uh, really my, not my first restaurant job in Richmond, but it was the first one where I really felt like this is going to be a career for me. And I was really leaning in pretty heavy on what we were doing there. And they gave me a lot of creative license with the beverage program. And that's, that, that's where we met and where all the cocktail stuff started. I mean, you you were doing stuff that just wasn't happening. And I don't want to say Richmond is behind, but let's just say it was not, it's not the same scene as it is now. And I don't think that we had anyone doing anything. I mean, so how did you get to Juleps? Let's talk about how you ended up in Richmond, all of that stuff. So I started working in restaurants at Applebee's when I was 16. And, um, one of the bartenders that I worked with there ended up coming up and getting a job in Richmond at a place called Surfish Station, which was where uh, Bandito's is now. That used to be Surfish Station a long time ago. And, and I wish it still was. 
yeah, I love the concept of it. I love a good pun too. You know, it's a uh, hard, hard to hard to uh, get away from that. That's a great name. Old service station turned into a raw bar. Good for them, you know. But uh, I remember that, the doors that would slide up. Right? Exactly. I yeah. remember that place. Which Bandito still has those. They just don't open the doors like the like we used to. But anyway, um, Chris, my friend, got a job there and as a bartender. And when I was eighteen, I left Applebee's and got a job there as a server. And that was my first Richmond restaurant job. This is in 2000 and... Uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, it was, I think it was like 2001 or 2002, something like that. But uh, I met there, the GM of that place, her name was Holly Green. and she became somewhat of a mentor for me and gave me an opportunity at Juleps. She left Surface Station to be the general manager of Juleps and uh, brought me on board. And it was uh, such a, a unique experience for me. You know, it was my first foray into any sort of upscale dining. Uh, I was real rough around the edges. You know, I, I had relied a lot on just being a hard worker and being kind of like fast on my feet, you know, it is a very different dynamic when it wasn't really about how quickly can you run around. And it was more about how deliberate and intentional can you be about your service, you know? And uh, also I was like by far the youngest member on the staff by like 10 years. Um, and I wasn't even old enough to drink when I got a job there, you know? And so I caught a lot of flack from a lot of those guys. I remember thinking that I was getting, like bullied really hard while I was working at that place by some of those guys. And now those guys are good friends of mine and I'm extremely thankful for the, how hard they were on me to, you know, keep me, they, they kept me on the team. One of the cool things about Juleps is that the wait staff voted on who got to stay on the team. It was a tip pool and everybody collectively decided if they wanted to work with everybody else. And the, that was the least amount of turnover I'd ever uh, experienced up to that point and still is the least amount of turnover I ever experienced. It was um, a high standard environment, but like they really took care of me and taught me a lot of stuff. What was it about the food industry that initially got you in at age 16? And also, which Applebee's was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was actually a pretty special Applebee's. It's the Applebee's in Chester. Uh, Chester one to be exact. It was a uh, uh, corner of Jefferson Davis and route 10 right off of 95 exit 61 B. And we sold a ton of alcohol there. We were actually the highest um, alcohol sales for any Applebee's on the entire East coast for like five years. Oh, uh, Bobby. <laughs> and uh, I was not a bartender there, but I got the job there. Cause my brother, my older brother was a bartender there. And it was a high school job for me, but uh, it was honestly, you know, it was just such a great experience to, I've made so many friends there and, you know, it felt like a family and restaurants have always since then felt like that for me, you know, I mean, there's always lots of drama, but what family doesn't have drama and uh, the bonds that you build with people for whatever reason, while you're uh, in customer service, but I think especially whether you're in back of the house or front of the house, you build these deep bonds with people and there's a lot of creativity and a lot of high energy. And I really fell in love with that. So from Juleps, you went where? I was at Juleps for a long time. I was at Juleps for nine years. And uh, while I was at Juleps, I actually worked some other jobs in tandem, you know, where like I was at Shea Fu Shea for a while as a server there. And then also technically my first bartending gigs were catering gigs, uh, both for Shea Fu Shea for a, a guy in town named Bobby Spivey who would, uh, um, put, uh, put together, he didn't do catering, but he put together teams to do the service side of large events. And so I started doing that when I was pretty, 
pretty early on, I mean, like 22, 23, something like that. And bartending at uh, private events for Chez Fouché while I was simultaneously working at Juleps. And then ended up going from serving to bartending at Juleps. And then I left Juleps to do a place called the Fan House, um, which was which an interesting environment, you know. <laughs> and that's where Mike's Jazz Kitchen is right now, at the right at the corner of Robinson and Boyd Grove. Robinson and Grove. Boyd. Boyd. Um, that building's been many things. It's a beautiful building. It's there's been a carousel of uh, restaurants in there from long before I ever got in there, and then there's been a bunch since then. You know, I um, I look at juleps and the fan house as like incredibly pivotal experiences for me in restaurants, but in very different ways. Now, I was at juleps for nine years, and I climbed the uh, the ladder from server to bartender to bar manager, and we had that short, the speakeasy there for a little while. And, um, and then I jumped out of that to partnering with, uh, uh, Sonny Zhao at the fan house, who, you know, fan house had already been open, but his original partner had left for whatever reason. And, uh, Sonny needed uh, help, you know, and I wasn't at the fan house that long. It was, I, I think of that time as a crucible for me, as far as what, um, what, the jump from being a restaurant employee to being, you know, a lot more responsibility, a general manager or an owner, like what it would really take to do that successfully and how demanding that level of responsibility can be. And uh, it was tough, you know, the fan house, you know, my iteration of it didn't last even a year. You know, we assembled a really great team and I'm proud of what we served there, especially from the beverage program standpoint. I think it was an incredible cocktail menu, but the administrative side of running restaurants and restaurants was not something that I really thought too much about because I was pretty young and brash and just thought I'd be able to figure it out on the fly. And, you know, I mean, I was faking it then I'm still faking it now, but, uh, I've learned a lot along the way, but I wouldn't, I don't think I would have actually gotten here at all if I hadn't taken that leap with the fan house. And, you know, I think people could look at, I I looked at it for a long time as like a failure that I wasn't able to get in there. And, and like my first restaurant, you know, ownership, you know, didn't last that long, but uh, I feel like I learned as much there in less than a year than I learned anywhere else for as long as I've been. Well, that's cool. What does that mean exactly? The admin side, um, never having really worked in a restaurant. I don't really know um, what you're talking about. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's the stuff that pretty much any small business owner has to do. And, you know, I, I do some entrepreneur coaching now. Um, and, one of the things that I talk about a lot with um, with anybody that I'm doing coaching for is that you have the thing that you do that you love that um, you're good at that makes you feel like you should be a business owner that you should like start your own thing and um, what frequently happens you know what's what happened with me early on is that you don't actually spend that much time doing that thing because you are talking about know, QuickBooks, or you're looking at liability insurance, or you're learning about workers comp, or you're delving into HR. And there's obviously like the marketing piece, especially with social media has really um, been a big, a big thing for everybody for a little while now. And so those are all things where it's like, man, I was a really great bartender and I love making drinks and I actually good cook and I like to cook too. And I know how to um, teach people to uh, you know, serve customers in a, in a really warm, hospitable way. But that, that is only a part of, you know, owning a business or managing a business for someone else. And there's all these other pieces that are very time consuming and you really can't cut corners on those things. You know, like ultimately if you do, you're going to end up sinking way more time later, you know? And so there's a lot of things that entrepreneurs, restaurant entrepreneurs jump into that 
they didn't really know was going to be a part of the equation until you start doing it. And, you know, that was, that was the big thing for me was that I thought I had ran the bar at juleps. Was there one particular aspect of that, that like was more problematic than, than the others? Well, you know, I wouldn't use the word problematic um, for it, but just staffing and personnel in general, that is, um, that has been the main uh, thing that I've had to spend time on for years. And, you know, it's grown over time. I mean, my teams are much larger now. I mean, we have almost 90 employees at Brambley Park. You know, there was a point in time I was at Jules where it was like nine of us working there, you know? And so I think the big one is, and like I said, I mean, I, I thought I was running the bar at Juleps, but really what I was doing was I was taking care of product and product is, in my opinion, not even actually half of the equation. Obviously, it's a huge part of it. But for me, it's about the team, right? I mean, like there's, there's, there's groups of people that you have to be very aware of and you have to be able to communicate incredibly well with and you have to take care of them. You know, you have your team and you have your customers and they have different needs and you almost as an owner or manager, whatever role administratively that you're in from a staffing standpoint, in a way you're oftentimes almost in a mediator position between your clients and your team and trying to find ways to make everybody happy. Um, and that, that has been absolutely, that was the biggest, uh, learning curve. However you want to look at it, it was like, all of a sudden I went from being able to spend a ton of my time thinking about product and delving into, um, cocktail recipes going and doing stages in different cities around the country and pushing my craft and technique to spending a ton of time trying to create the best environment I could for the people. I mean, ultimately in the day, especially if you're creating a restaurant or any business that um, has like a brick and mortar where you're entertaining guests, everybody is there because of you. Whether they're an employee or a customer, they're all interacting because you pulled an idea out of the ether and brought it into reality, right? And so you're fundamentally responsible for making sure that those interactions go well. And there's just so many layers to that, whether it's like, you know, health benefits, you know, workers comp, things like that, or even just managing interpersonal relations when, you know, people didn't communicate well with one another. And now you have to bridge that gap. Oh, yeah. I don't think anybody thinks about staffing when they start a restaurant or anything similar to that. I, I always think it's like, oh, I have great snacks to give people. But you forget there's like people that also have to do the prep for those snacks and serve those snacks and clean up after those snacks and do the accounting portion of those snacks. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I, I, as you know, my other job is in HR and staffing. So hearing you say that's the toughest part makes me feel pretty good there, yeah. Bobby. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, but it's also the most valuable part. You know, I mean, it's weird. I got into restaurants because I I was in love with like food and beverages and uh, pushing the envelope on cocktails and on food. And I was very, very, very product focused earlier on in my career. But and I still love that stuff, but I really do feel really fortunate because I, I do love like building a team and finding a way to navigate all the personalities and everything and like just try to get everybody together to try to accomplish a common goal, you know, which it's not just not just the employees too, it's the customers too. We're literally all in it together and we're all trying to have a good experience wherever we are and trying to get everybody on the same page on like how to do that is definitely a, a, my main passion now. I spend more time reading about that and more time talking about that than anything else. I mean, I do at times, my, my, my team has heard me say this, that I feel really lucky and fortunate when we get to spend some time talking about food and beverage. <laughs> uh, because it just, there's a lot of times where we spend, I mean, especially the last few years, you know, I don't, don't want to go necessarily like back to like the COVID well, you know, and talk about that. But um, that changed things a lot. And, you know, 
since 2020, we spend so much time talking about so many things other than what's on the plate or what's in the glass, you know, and I, and, and we should be, um, I personally believe that if all people cared about from a customer standpoint was having something good to drink or good to eat, they can do that at home. You know, like they, <laughs> yeah. there's so many options of so many ways that you can get great food and beverage now. So people really do come out to be around others and to, to um, have a nice time in the company of other human beings. That's ultimately what every restaurant, that's what our actual product is, is that experience and that, that, that vibe and that culture that you have in the place that you created. And so let's just walk through the places you've created now, because after what you're calling a failure, I don't think it was a failure from fan house, you have four concepts you're either co-owner, owner, or part of now. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was a flurry of activity after the fan house. I did a lot of bartending, a lot of places. And then I ended up helping um, open Bell and James. And that was a really fun project. I was the GM of that. And then after that, I did the Hoff with Carter Snipes. And that was uh, that was a huge project, you know, um, 10,000 square foot building, three levels, four bars, four different concepts inside of it. We had like 50 some staff at various points in time, 160 weddings over the course of three years, 500 plus events all in all, you know, like it was a, and, and also it grew, you know, our first year of business, the amount of revenue we did by the third year of business, we had done a thousand percent increase in revenue. Um, and so then you know, in 2019, we decided to take a swing on Brambley Park. And so we secured that property in November of 2019 and had a whole plan in place, some of which we still, we held true to, but COVID really did change a lot of how I was planning on doing that place. And so we opened in June of 2020, um, like early June. and. Brambley was a handful, you know, I mean, three years in nine, almost 90 employees, you know, we can seat 600 people there. If we ever wanted to go full tilt, we don't, we've never actually full tilt sat that many because, and I was just talking about this earlier, I'm at the Cardinal right now, which we'll get to in a minute, but that, you know, just cause you have the space doesn't mean you should use it. Um, and just cause you can fit people in doesn't mean you should like, um, I definitely believe it's more about trying to deliver the best product you possibly can, which is once again, the experience and not to necessarily just pull as many people in as possible. So anyway, yeah, Brambley, and there's been like a more recent flurry of activity. I have Alchemy Coffee now on uh, Broad Street, 814 West Broad. What made you do that? Like I, I saw when it, the news came across that it was something that you decided to, to jump into, but you're, I mean, it's, it's a great coffee shop. I don't want, I'd like that. That's the last thing, but like, that's just not like in my, like outside looking in something I saw that you would gravitate toward. I can't even drink that much coffee. I get, <laughs> I get really spazzy when I have a bunch of coffee. People don't like to be around me. Sometimes my friends all like hop on a phone call with them and they're like, do you have a lot of coffee today? Cause I don't like, <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't, it was not part of my plan at all. I actually had a plan in place for some other things that I'm also doing, but I don't know, Roby. I mean, I, I <laughs> definitely have insomnia and I was up late at night, like swiping through Instagram. And I saw that Alchemy had made a post that they were closing and um, I knew that the team there was a special team. And then as I looked through the comments on that post and the amount of customers that were just crushed with it being gone and all these people talking about all these memories that they made at Alchemy, major, major events in their life and stuff like that. And talking with friends, um, 
you know, everybody I know, myself included, that went to VCU, like alchemy was after I went to school at VCU, but people went through VCU knew alchemy, you know, uh, you know, it's just a, it had, um, it was part of the social zeitgeist of Richmond. And so I started feeling sad. Uh, there's been a lot of closures of places that I thought were um, a big part of what Richmond is. And I think alchemy is that too, you know, and uh, they had posted on, on that post, they had said that they were like liquidating all their equipment. And I took a look through what was available. And then it was like, you know, and I just sent a, a, literally an Instagram message. It was like, hey, how would you feel about just selling all of this to one person along with the, you know, the brand um, and the intellectual property? And we had a handshake deal in place in like 15 hours. Um, it, it, was, it was never part of the plan, but the opportunity to be a part of a place that I really respected you know, it's interesting because we were talking about earlier about product and versus like personnel. And I've spent so much time on personnel and I have such a huge team at Brambley that one of the things that was attractive to me about it is that team at Alchemy was like five people, you know, and they, they treat that product like I used to treat cocktails. And so I was very inspired by that and wanted uh, wanted the opportunity to try to keep it around if I could. I think that's great. I like, I, I really like that place. Did I hear through the grapevine that you might be doing cocktails there at some point? Kind of. So we, um, we've been approved for a, a beer and wine license for alchemy. Um, the ABC actually has a, like a limited mixed beverage license that they do that I wasn't aware of. Actually, somebody from ABC suggested I came in to apply for a beer and wine license and somebody from ABC was like, this is for alchemy. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you should do a limited mixed beverage license. I didn't know what that was. And then they told me you can have up to six different liqueurs um, as well as, you know, your, your beer and wine offerings. And so we went ahead and pulled that license. And so, We'll have like Aperol, so I can do Aperol spritzes. We'll have um, things that you would want to put in coffee. We'll, so we'll have a couple of cocktails, but it's not really like it's high percentage alcohol really isn't the goal there. The main reason why I wanted to offer it was that um, I like a cafe where if somebody wants to have a glass of rosé, they can. We have people that, that come in and use that place as an office and they're there for three or four hours. And the idea of being able to close out your day there and go from having coffee in the afternoon to having a glass of wine or a beer at the uh, towards the end of the day, I think is nice. And then also we're open Saturdays and Sundays, you know, during you know traditional brunch hours. So being able to offer mimosas, micheladas, things like that will be uh, I think a nice addition to what's available there. So, you know, I'm not extending the hours. I'm not doing anything crazy like that because more than anything, even with adding this stuff, I don't want to take the focus off of what makes that team great and what they're passionate about, which is coffee. So I'm not planning on leaning into cocktails real hard. I want to keep things relatively simple, but to have a to have a shop right there on Broad, where there's definitely some people that, once again, would love a nice glass of rosé or have some some good local product. You know, we're going to carry some stuff from Garden Grove in there, and um, and a few other places in town. You know, and so I think it's a nice addition, but it's not going to be the emphasis. I think it's great. I think it's one of, one of my favorite drinks ever is this red wine coffee drink that's in this bookstore slash something or other in dc i don't know why i like it so much but i love it and it i i'm i'm stoked to see what you're gonna do Roddy, um, tell me where that is and i will go and figure <laughs> out how to make it it's a, it's i i it's a yeah it's like a half cocktail coffee place half bookstore in dc on the corner um i'll, I'll send you this thing it's I, what is the name of it? I don't even, I don't know. Something bookstore. 
<laughs> but you go That's through it. the books and then there's like drinks and coffee. And That's then the it. Cardinal, how did that happen? So the Cardinal I've been working on for a while. That was part of the plan. Um, so the um, the people that run Magnolia Green started reaching out to me back in 2021 about doing another Brambley Park down here. And man, I was just real burnt out. Like I still had the Hoff at that time. And between the Hoff and Brambley, I was knocking on the door of 150 employees. It was still like really deep in the midst of COVID. Everything was just, everything just felt like stressful and felt heavy. And so I just never even came and looked at it. I knew I just couldn't take on another Brambley. And I didn't feel like I had the personnel to execute it well. And that it was just going to be one of those things that, if nothing else, the fan house told, taught me that one person cannot be a tent pole for a business, even a small one, let alone a big place like Brambley or the Cardinal. Um, but uh, what ended up happening is that I started working on this international project that I'm also in the middle of. And my business partner for that project is one of my employees from the Hoff. Um, it was always my dream to eventually own my own place. And I was able to make that happen a couple of times now. And in, in true form, once I accomplished that, I moved the goalpost. And then the new goal was to try to find a way to, you know, elevate members of my, my team to the point where they're equity partners as well. It's hard to do that with existing entities, especially entities that have multiple partners in them already. But to create new entities with the members of my team that showed that they had work ethic, intelligence, determination, resourcefulness has been a big, big push for me. And Harrison is the name of my partner down in Costa Rica. He was the AGM of the Hoff. Then he came over and was the AGM at Brambley. And uh, he's got what it takes. Like I, um, I'm super stoked to have him as a business partner. And I actually set up a meeting at magnolia green which is where the cardinal is uh man if they watch this hey guys um i'm really happy to be here what i'm about <laughs> to say does not reflect i hadn't seen the place yet but um i literally set the meeting up to come tour it just and brought harrison with me just because we were going to be looking at a lot of properties in costa rica and i wanted him to get some reps like looking at places and feeling comfortable asking questions and just getting an opportunity, you know? And I told him, I mean, we've talked about this a ton of times since then, literally we're in the truck on the way down. And I looked and I was like, look, there's like a 2% chance that I'm even interested in this place at all. So this is for you. Make sure you lean in really hard, ask questions. It might feel uncomfortable, awkward, but that's literally why we're here. And then we got here and we parked and I walked around the back of the building and he like started to say something. And I was like, hang on. And I got literally just kind of like pushed him back and then like went in because as soon as I saw the place, I was like, wait a minute, this actually really could be something huge here. And that 2% chance really, really flipped up real fast into me being incredibly interested in the place. So that... They started reaching out in summer 2021. I didn't actually come look at the place until August of 2022 and uh, immediately started working on a deal for how to, how to put together a purchase of the property and, um, and put a concept here. So for the folks at home who aren't familiar, what is the Cardinal? Right, so there's a, a large uh, neighborhood in Mosley, Virginia, it's like right on the other side of the border from Chesterfield called Magnolia Green. Um, I've since found out that everybody lives here. I didn't know that, but um, I keep I keep meeting people that not even meeting new people, people I've known forever. And they're like, yes, I live in Magnolia Green. And I had no idea. There's so many people. There's 2,600 homes just in this neighborhood, along with a ton of other apartments. There's a bunch of houses nearby. There's a golf course here. The zoo is out there, right? It's not that far. It's out there, but it's the zoo is a little bit further, but it's not that far from where we are. Um, so the my roommate for 10 years in Richmond lives in Magnolia Green. Yeah, everyone lives here. 
apparently I live here. I didn't even know that. No, uh, <laughs> I will probably. But um, but there's the, like a bunch of businesses back there. Like Capital Chips was back there as one of those where the she started. Like there's a lot going on in Magnolia. There's an <laughs> insane farmers market. Oh yeah, I know the farmers market here is incredible. Uh, so, um, if this was the the cardinal, which is what we're calling this venue. It was why that name. Um, well, I have a business partner here too, um, Andrea, and she really liked that name. And it's the state bird. We see them on the property a lot, and it just felt like um, a nice homage to. It feels very Virginia here, you know. Like as you look around, I'll send you some photos. It just has that. Especially when I was looking at it most was in the fall and the fall foliage here. Uh, it's just very Virginia. You know, we've got a beautiful pond here and uh, we thought it would be a nice name for an event venue, but it was the welcome center when they were selling all of these homes here for Magnolia Green. So a lot of the people that live in Magnolia Green had a pretty pivotal meeting, you know, uh, in this building before they became a homeowner in this community. Um, the community, I mean, I love the, the property here, the building, it's almost completely turnkey. I mean, I don't know if you can tell on the background, but I got some guys that are, um, doing an extension on the deck so that the deck overlooks the pond. And that's where we plan on doing um, wedding ceremonies and, um, and we'll have like a fountain there too. But as much as I love the property here, the building and the property, the community is really what pulled me in to um to wanting to be here and um it's yeah i mean i just think it's it's gonna be a knockout here i think people we've already gotten an incredible response but we'll be able to hold rather large weddings you're talking 200 person ceremonies and that's just with the building it's it's a four acre property 3500 um square foot interior building with another 1200 square foot patio that's a covered patio and so, they what it's an event space it's not a, it's not another winery or restaurant it's it's a so, yeah so i'm not doing another restaurant here um we, we yeah it's an event venue though i will say that we plan on doing a ton of community focused open to the public events here we're going to be partnering up with a bunch of local nonprofits to do um, festival licenses and things of that nature here. So there will be weekly multiple open to the public events here, but I plan on hosting food trucks in order to provide the food for uh, for those groups. So we'll do, you know, movie nights out on the lawn, you know, field games. We're actually probably going to actually do, we we're just talking today about uh, using the pond to do like so, some fishing competitions and things like that. But like, like very casual. We're talking like, you know, like Father's Day fishing contest and the pond is stocked with some uh, some fish and just kind of like, you know, uh, catch and release kind of thing. But anything we can do to be really dialed in with the community here, because they uh, they are very supportive and also it seems hungry for something to be here. And uh, I'm excited to, to see what we can make happen for them here. And then, yeah, I mean, I think Saturday is going to get mostly dominated by weddings, but the rest of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm planning on doing, like I said, movie nights, game nights, concerts. We have a stage here already. Uh, and then food truck. Everybody loves a food truck. Like, everybody. They're like, everybody. I don't need, I mean, it's crazy. It could be the, and it won't be because it's you, but it could be the worst food truck ever. And everybody's like, it's a food truck. <laughs> <laughs> It's like there's no such thing as bad pizza, you know, like there's great, false. There's, there's, great false. there's great pizza, but like, don't even, go down this road, Bobby. She's already yelled at me about this on multiple podcasts. It's not worth people. it. Even bad pizza hits the spot. Sometimes. Thank you, Bobby. No, I agree, I agree with you. Not. It <laughs> cleans up sins from the night before. That is the only thing bad pizza no can do. saying it's good, but <laughs> it's just not bad. Um, yeah, exactly. I got you. Uh, I wanted to jump back about up to Scott's edition again in Bramble. You mentioned that you purchased it in 2019 and it opened in 2020. It, I mean, I don't want to say, I mean, silver linings aside, it seems like the perfect place 
to open during the pandemic with all the space that you had. But obviously you said that your plans changed. What was it supposed to be and what did it end up being? And tell folks what exactly it is, because maybe someone hasn't been there that hasn't listened to it. Everybody in Richmond has been to Bramley. That's not true. That's not true. (laughs) No, I talk to people all the time that never heard of it. Um, Yeah, it's it's a lot. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you. you uh, give me the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, we we originally weren't planning on prioritizing the outdoors as much as we did. We were going to have a stage out there, but the idea originally was to just have like a wide open area that people could like mingle in, bring blankets, stuff like that. That big mulch area that's um, that's in front of our stage. Originally, we were even talking about like putting a volleyball court there and stuff like that and like leaning in heavier on the activity side of like a park environment but when covid hit and uh indoor dining rooms first of all just weren't allowed to be used for a while but even when they were they were really weren't at the top of what people wanted to do uh, we made a pretty big pivot in march because that's when covid was starting to take off and originally our plan was to emphasize a lot on uh, an event space on the second floor which we pivoted away all of the resources to do that and pushed into picnic tables, the outdoor bar. Uh, and, um, and then the other big pivot was more from a, uh, an infrastructural standpoint uh, from a data infrastructure. We, we pushed hard into QR codes. And I, and I know some other places were too, but I do feel as though the team at Brambley, we really did kind of nailed a QR thing early on in a way that was very approachable for guests. And that's been a huge emphasis. So as I, when I describe Brambley to people now, like, cause I'll end up on calls with people that want to do events at Brambley and things like that. And I always ask them if they've been there before. And if they haven't, I always tell them that we have different experiences at Brambley. And then I describe those experiences to them because we have our interior dining room and patio, which is a full service, more traditional restaurant style experience where you have a server or a bartender that's directly interfacing with you, taking orders and um, and fulfilling your needs as a customer in a more traditional restaurant setting. But then we have our park experience, which is QR code based and you don't have, we don't have servers in the park. We actually we almost run it like a completely different business. Our employees that work in the restaurant, i.e. the dining room and patio, like our servers and bartenders are tipped employees. Um, And it's uh, got that like traditional restaurant style structure. But out in the park, we don't allow tips. We pay, uh, I think it's, I think it might've just changed now to 19 an hour is like the starting rate for the park employees. And those employees are performing a variety of functions, but they're not actually serving customers. You don't have a a server. You have a a QR code, you order from it. We have people that bring food and beverages to your table. We have people that are walking around keeping the park clean. Uh, We have hosts that are seating people, but it's it's a more casual experience than your full service restaurant experience. And it's, what I've learned is that it's all life is about expectation setting, right? So as long as people that are coming to Brambley understand the different experiences that are available and they end up in the right place, they have an incredible time. Most of the time, well, whenever we've run into any sort of uh, issues, it's always just been confusion about like, like people in the park, like, where's my server? I'm like, you don't have a server. Uh, but if you want one, we can, we're happy to move you to the patio, you know? And uh, I think messaging for any restaurant, Brandley Park or otherwise, is always very important. And you you can't spend enough time or energy on making sure that you're delivering the right message to your customers and to your staff. But we, we finally did get the event space running at Brandley uh, in 2022. And so now we've got the private event experience as well as the restaurant experience as well as the park experience so it's it's a dynamic place we do music wednesday through sunday we have happy hour tuesday through friday we are always doing we have a pride event today we 
had a big Juneteenth event earlier in the month. We've got uh, July 4th, um, like tailgate, cornhole contest, cookout happening on Tuesday. You know, so we, we've got a lot of space there. It's two acres of land with a 9,000 square foot building on it. And we do a lot with it, you know, I mean, and that's just from a customer facing stuff. There's also some big initiatives that we're pushing on right now. I'm taking the park solar. So we're starting on Monday. I've been acquiring the solar infrastructure and we're starting on Monday to install that stuff so we can take the park side of the operation and run it fully off of uh, solar energy. And the main reason why we can do that with the park is because the park is typically only fully open about eight months out of the year because it's all open air. So December, January, February, and most of March, not the last couple of years, uh, it's uh, it's kind of dormant. So cool. I didn't realize it was 9,000 square feet. That is a lot of building. Yeah. Well, I mean, it houses, I mean, we, we have a winery there, you know, like we, uh, we not only make our own wine in house, but we also source uh, wine product from um, some premier growing regions, both in the country and in Europe. And now I've got uh, South America too, um, Chile. So, you know, we've got, I think around 20 barrels. Um, sorry about that. Uh, we've got about 20 barrels uh, in storage right now where we're doing various like limited production, more esoteric products. And then our offsite storage, we're sitting on, I think it's like 90 pallets of wine. So we, and all of that is just for sale at Brambley, but we, you know, we'll serve close to 1500 people on a Saturday. It's crazy. Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You mentioned some of those June events, the Pride event and the June and the June uh, Juneteenth event. July has some events too that we need to talk about for a moment. Yeah. Hot tomato what? summer. <laughs> Does that mean anything to you? I love the hot tomato summer. I, I love Dukes and I love I love tomatoes, especially this time of year. Um actually I was just uh, I was just down in Costa Rica earlier in June and I couldn't get a good tomato to save my life. You can't get good tomatoes down there. Um, Why is that? I think they get too much water. Maybe, uh, I've been trying to figure it out. They're all very like mealy, you know, um, that's a real thing, but yeah. you're onto something. If you yeah. give a tomato too much water, it's not a good tomato. It needs to have, it needs to feel the stress. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I mean, if you're going to have great tomatoes, this is this is the time to do it, and this is the place. Um, yeah, no, I, I I love Dukes. I have a great history with Dukes. Um, the GM of Brambley, this guy Alan, used to uh, he he's from here, but he moved up to Manhattan like back in like I want to say it was like 2005 or 2006, something like that, and he couldn't find Dukes anywhere, and so. I used to drive up and see him pretty regularly and, or take the train up and I would bring jars of Dukes with me on every trip. Um, uh, because he, he might be one of the only people I know that likes Dukes more than me. Um, we use Dukes at Brambley, um, and we're doing some fun specials for, um, for a uh, hot tomato summer. So we've got, you know, the classic, just BLT, just a really, I mean, you can't go wrong Dave. with a really, well-made BLT. Um, although I will say, and some people say this is sacrilege, but I, um, I sometimes like to swap out the lettuce for really thinly sliced cucumber. And um, how fancy of you. <laughs> it's really, really good. It's worth it. I recommend giving it a shot. A BCT. I yeah. like it. Yeah. For me, for a long time, the lettuce has been kind of the weak point of that. Scene. <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't um, carrying its weight for you, Bobby. Yeah. Try the, cucumber, try the cucumber thing. You won't go back. Lettuce uh, slander will not stand, man. This lettuce slander. I don't know. He, he didn't <laughs> say anything. He said tomatoes, which is, I'm happy that's on there. And he, he did it. He only is bringing up the lettuce. I want to know what your thoughts are on a, so last year, 
for hot tomato summer, there was an individual in Richmond that made a cocktail from tomatoes um, and mayonnaise. Do you think as the person that makes really and truly incredible cocktails, but it has been a while since I've had one from you. Do you think that's something that could be good? Yeah. You know, so most people don't know this, but we did a, um, a Duke's like, like a fat washed, uh, cocktail last year as well. But, but I didn't put it on the menu because I didn't know how it was going to be until I got a chance to try it. And we were a little bit behind the eight ball on the timeline. And you know what? Sometimes, and I can't, I didn't have that other cocktail, so I don't know. But what I will say was there was, there was nothing bad about the cocktail that we did. Sometimes I feel like you might waste time or labor on things. Like I did a Duke's fat wash on um, Jack Daniels. And I feel like when you're searching for why is it different, you know, like, and that's, that's where I was at was like, can I taste it? <laughs> Extra different, you know, and trying to determine what the impact was. And I think sometimes that, 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 you know, that's part of the creative process, right. Is especially when you're doing something experimental like that, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't necessarily believe in wasting steps or, uh, and I don't, I don't believe in putting in a ton of effort on something if you're not able to see tangible results. I can't speak to the other cocktail. I felt like for the one that I made, I'd have to be, if I just made it and gave it to somebody blind and didn't tell them what was in it, I'd have to go to the ends of the earth to try to convince them that there was a mayo uh, component in it at all. You know, sure. Fat washing is one of those things where I mean, like even it's more of a mouthfeel thing than anything else. Typically when you do that and every mayo based cocktail that I've ever read about or researched or done myself has been a fat wash. There's not actual mayo in the cocktails. I'd love to see one that does that um, and see if it works, you know, but fat washing is interesting, right? Cause I used to do a lot of that with bacon and it was hit or miss too with that, you know, but it really came back to like, it does add some aromatics and like also some textural components. My favorite of anything like that I've ever done was I did this, uh, this duck fat washed Armagnac. Um, at Bell and James that I was making brandy crustas with. And that was, that was, I think the best version of it. First of all, because I think the flavor that's carried in duck fat is distinct and noticeable, but also that was one of the first times I had done a cocktail that wasn't chilled in any way. It was a room temperature cocktail. And it allowed the the, the mouthfeel and the aromatics to really shine. Because that's the other thing is when you factor in dilution and temperature, if you've got subtle flavors, it's easy for them to get lost. Just move right out. Well, I'm excited to see what is upcoming. I know that there is a... Will we get the mead from... Costa Rica here in Virginia when that whole thing um uh the Costa Rica project yeah i mean yep. i hope so i think so you know it's really going to come down a, a big part of that project it's a 21 acre uh piece of land on the pacific coast in guanacaste and what attracted me to costa rica beyond just the beauty and natural splendor was how dedicated they are to protecting their natural environment and their um their flora and fauna in the country and they do that in a lot of ways but one of those is making a countrywide push towards carbon neutrality and they will be one of the first countries in the world if not the first country in the world that is carbon neutral um and that's a huge deal to me and so like our project down there Originally, when I was looking to do it, I was originally planning on doing a brewery, but, you know, sustainability was a huge part of what our goals are there. It's a big deal to me. It's a big deal to Harrison. Uh, I've seen for years the impact that um, large scale commercial entities can have on the environment, you know, and it was an opportunity to try to find a way 
in the right place to build one that was carbon neutral. And because of that, I switched away from beer to meat because honey is abundant there. And I don't have to expend a bunch of fossil fuel energy moving cereal grains to me to make a product and then moving it away from me to sell it, you know, finding a local product that we could turn into uh, something that we felt really proud of uh, was really exciting for us. Harrison's the one who actually makes the mead. He makes a really incredible mead and one that is aimed at that specific part of the world. So our mead there is 5% alcohol, which is a lot lower than traditional mead. It's carbonated, which is also uncharacteristic of mead. We're hopping it, which is also not that common, and canning it. Um, And it's also bone dry. And the reasoning behind that is, one, you know, to keep in line with that whole carbon neutrality aspect of things, but also with the heat down there and the way in which um, people consume alcohol, we felt as though a lower ABV, very refreshing, lightweight product was the one that would speak most to both the locals and the tourists. Um, And the honey is locally sourced. There's also no waste product from making mead. You convert 100% of the product into, or 100% of the ingredients into usable product. And there's also, you don't have to heat it as much as you do with beer um, because you're not breaking down like a fibrous, like, like husk in order to get to the um, convertible starches, you know? So across the board, we, we now are looking at a product that I feel extremely proud of, which is a carbon neutral, no byproduct, gluten-free, low calorie, locally sourced product. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's got (laughs) the perfect product. It's it's everything we need. Yeah. It's got a lot of incredible uh, things to it, you know, and I, while I very much hope to be able to bring it up here, I'll only do that if we can find a way to do it that limits our footprint. Um, One of the ways that we've talked about doing that is if we can ship the honey and the yeast strains up and then actually produce the product here because I think it's really environmentally uh, just not efficient to ship water. I have an idea, Bobby, and we can we can wrap things up on this idea. And I'm going to assume that you're going to agree with this idea. Why don't you <laughs> put Roby and I on a plane, fly us down to Costa Rica, put us up for a couple of nights, then we'll put some of the meat in our luggage and we'll bring it back. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Right. Do that weekly, you think? Or uh, I mean, let's, let's not get carried away. <laughs> a bi-weekly for sure. Bi-weekly plane rides to beautiful Costa Rica. Yeah. I'm in, Scott. Yeah. You're listening to Eat It Virginia with Scott Wise, Roby Martin, and Bobby Kruger. In the interview, his Hot Tomatoes Summer special. Dukes is sponsoring the podcast, which is exciting because Hot Tomatoes Summer is coming up. And I don't know about you, but BLTs are my favorite thing about Hot Tomato Summer. Bobby has that lettuce, the problem with the lettuce. I don't know about all that. You know what? I, 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 I'll put bacon, tomato, and any vegetable he says on it in, in between two breads. I'm for it. Dukes and tomatoes aside, what was your best bite of the week so far? What are the best thing you've eaten? So I have had a BLT, by the way, with Dukes already. Um, So I'm like way ahead of the curve. But I went to a pop-up at Sub Rosa, Thai pop-up at Sub Rosa. Um, I will never be able to pronounce it, but Nam Prick Pow, I believe is the name of, or at least I'm close. And had a grilled shrimp with the head on. It's beauty. That's all I can call it. It was spicy. It was buttery. It was crunchy. Everything, everything you'd want in a head-on shrimp. 
My best bite of the week, I went down to Midlothian in Virginia, which is a place I don't frequent. Because it's so far. It kind of is um, <laughs> from where I live. But anyhow, Sergio's, have you been? Sergio's I love Pizza. Sergio's. I okay. love it. Yeah. So I got the New Orleans calzone, uh, a mixture of ricotta, chicken, sauces, mozzarella, and hot sauce. And it tasted like Bourbon Street in a little, in some dough. In, in a pocket. That's right. That guy knows what he's doing, Sergio's. Uh, he he has a great beer selection, half price appetizers for happy hour. Oh, I'm familiar with the Sergio's. Um, he does like thick slices of pizza that he sells out of. I'm telling you, it's a good spot. I wanted to get the pizza, but no one else in my party wanted it that night. Will you go with me sometime? Uh, one hundo, and also don't you're not friends with those people anymore. <laughs> don't <laughs> you've you've opted them off the island. It was my family. <laughs> hey Richmond, get ready. Duke's Mayo is cranking up the heat with Hot Tomato Summer. July 24th through the 30th, savor summery mayo and tomato dishes from your go-to Richmond eateries. Visit hottomatosummer.com for your local participating hotspots.